The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. So, if you're following along in the Bible app, just go to where, the, where we're talking about uh, John chapter 16. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Sometimes we don't know what the Holy Spirit's job actually is in our lives. And so, well, Jesus tells us, he says, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, this is verse 8, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Go down to verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Listen, this is the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. Please listen. Let's don't be confused. The role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer is not to convict the believer of sin. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world of sin because they don't believe. Well, once you believe and once you've been forgiven of all your sin and it's been absolved from your account, what sin remains to be convicted of? So the role of the Holy Spirit is not to convict believers of sin, but just what it says, to guide believers in the truth, to declare to us the truth of what the Holy Spirit hears the Father and the Son talking about. The role of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus and to reveal to us the fullness of what we actually have in Christ. So please do not ever take my word for anything that that, that we talk about here at Life Journey. Look, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then that's your guide. Not some guy in blue jeans and a striped shirt, the Holy Spirit. So today I pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us just a little bit more of this great love that the Son has. Because remember, his role, according to what we just read, is to reveal to us what the Father and the Son have. Well, what do the Father and the Son have more than anything else? Love. And so what I want him to reveal to us today is this full measure, or just a tiny more P, tiny tiny bit more of this love that he has for us, that he would reveal to us just who we are in this better covenant in week two. So before we jump in to to chapter 8, verse 10, which we're going to pick up in today's message, let's remember why this is so important to understand this new covenant. And we mentioned this last week, and I'll mention it again next week, I'm sure, But it's important for us to understand why it's so important to understand this new covenant. And there's just two verses. It's in your Bible app if you're following along there. But the number one reason is because it took the very shed blood of Jesus to usher in this new covenant. If you look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Jesus at the Last Supper, he holds up the cup and he says, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So listen, this new covenant required the very blood of Jesus to be shed. I don't know about you, but if it took Jesus' blood to create this new covenant, that to me says that, hey, there's something big about this covenant. The second reason that we talked about last week, and and, and we're talking about this week, and we'll talk about it next week because we're in this for four weeks, is the new covenant is the only covenant that we are qualified to minister. And this is is ground-shaking for me. 2 Corinthians 3, verses, uh, what is it, 5 and 6 says that our adequacy is from the Lord. It's from God. Adequacy is the same idea of of qualification. It's the same word. Who, verse 6, also made us adequate or qualified as servants of a new covenant. Not the letter, but the Spirit. 
For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Look, read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 for yourself. It's right there in your Bible app. You can read it for yourself. But Paul is saying that we are not qualified to minister the old covenant of the law, which includes the Ten Commandments. We are only made adequate to minister or to serve this new covenant. I mentioned earlier that Schweitzer and I had lunch, and we had a server. She was wonderful. She came, she brought us our our, our drinks, she brought us our food, she brought us the check. You know, she was a great server. She kept dishing stuff out to us, right? It was wonderful. The only thing that we're qualified to dish out to each other, according to the Bible, is the new covenant, not the old. We're not qualified to serve the Ten Commandments, nor any other part of the law. If you want to dish out the Ten Commandments to yourself and to other people, look, that's your prerogative, I suppose. But I'm just saying that we are not qualified by God to serve, to dish out the Old Covenant. And this is a big deal. So this is where my mind goes in this stuff. It's, it's, if, if we're only qualified to dish out the, old, the New Covenant, that, remember, it cost Jesus' very blood to initiate... Don't you think we ought to know what this new covenant is? Don't you think we ought to know it and know it well? Well, that's what Hebrews was written for. Hebrews was written to clearly uh, communicate the reality of this new covenant of grace. Now, I don't know where you are and where you stand on, like, you know, the authority of Scripture and that sort of a deal, but I'm just going to give you my take on this deal. I believe that the Bible is the absolute inspired word of God. Therefore, I believe that when it tells me that it took Jesus' death to usher in this new covenant, and when it tells me that we're not qualified to minister the Ten Commandments, but we're only qualified to minister the new covenant of grace, and when it tells me that we're to set aside the old covenant because a new covenant has come, I don't know what to do except for to trust it and believe it because I hold Scripture in a very high priority, a very high regard for the written word of God. Sometimes things are not easy to trust. I get that. The men who wrote this about the new covenant, the apostles, the men who wrote this, they were persecuted and most of them even killed by the crowd of the day. And what's really cool is I had one of you the other day tell me that you've had such an awareness of God's love for you that you are willing like you've never been before to actually lay your life down if needed for him. And that is so cool to me. Because what that means is you're getting it. You're seeing the reality of his great love for you. Where it's like, to, to die? You know what? I mean, to live is Christ. To die is, hey, that's even better. <laughs> because I actually get to be in fullness with him. So we're going to pick up in verse 6. So this is why we're studying this. Why we're looking at this. Because it took Jesus' blood to bring it in. And it's the only covenant we're actually qualified to minister. So we're going to pick up in verse 6, just kind of get a rolling start, and our verse is just going to be in verse 10 today. So, but now he, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. So basically, what he's saying is that there was something wrong with the first covenant, If the first covenant worked, then there would not have been a need to create a second. And by the way, um, the first covenant is what we call the Mosaic Law. 
The law didn't work because it never fixed anyone. There wasn't anything wrong with the law. It was great. It was perfect. But the problem was with the people being able to actually, uh, being actually able to, to uphold it, to, to, to live by it. It never actually fixed anyone. People kept breaking it over and over. And that's what it says here in verse 8. For finding fault with them, them being the people, God says, and this is what we saw last week. He says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect or I will create, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So we're going to review briefly the first of these better promises that we looked at last week. And by the way, this quote starting here, what is it in verse 8 through the rest of the chapter is a quote like we talked about last week from Jeremiah, which was 600 years before Hebrews was written. So this is 600 years before Jesus, 600 years, well, before Jesus was walked on earth, 600 years before all that, this was written, this promise that God made. So here's the promise we looked at last week. You ready? Verse nine, this new covenant is not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. So the very first promise that we looked at last week is that the new covenant is nothing like the old covenant. And we can rest assured that whatever we know about the old covenant, whatever we've learned about it, this new covenant is nothing like it. Don't take my word. Right there. It is not like that covenant. We talked about how in the old covenant, the very first Pentecost in the Old Covenant, which, remember, Pentecost it was a celebration of the giving of the law, which happened 50 days after Passover. So Passover happened, the, the Jews walked out of Egypt, 50 days later, God, Moses brought the law down, to the, ta- the tablets, the Ten Commandments down, that day is called Pentecost, the celebration of the law. Well, on the very first, this is what we talked about last week, just review, the very first Pentecost of the first covenant 3,000 lawbreakers were slaughtered because they created a golden calf and worshipped it, breaking nearly half of those Ten Commandments that Moses brought down. So in that single day, 3,000 lawbreakers died because the terms of that covenant were do good and live, do bad and die. What Hebrews is saying is that this new covenant, listen, it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. We just read this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. It says, the letter kills, uh, just ask those 3,000 guys, but the Spirit gives life. Then last week, remember, we talked about what happened at the first Pentecost of the new covenant. The first Pentecost on the New Covenant. The the, the first Passover of the New Covenant, Jesus Christ hung outside the camp and died for the sins of the world. Fifty days later, the first Pentecost of the New Covenant, what happened? The very Spirit of Christ descended upon earth and 3,000 lawbreakers were given what? Life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. That day, the first day of Pentecost, the first Pentecost of the new covenant, 3,000 souls were saved. If we can't look at that and see that there's a huge difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, I don't know what else is going to show us. The first day of the old, 3,000 died. 
The first Pentecost of the new, 3,000 were given life, the very life of Christ. So yeah, I would say that this new covenant is nothing like the old covenant. And this is what brings us into today's promise that we're going to look at. And this is the very next verse, verse 10, Hebrews 8, verse 10. In fact, we're not even going to look at the whole verse. We're just going to look at half of it. And there's more in this one little half verse that we've got time in 100 Sundays to actually cover. But we're just going to cover it real quickly and wrap this thing up and head home. So remember, he says that the new covenant is nothing like the covenant of law that I made with the fathers. It's nothing like the Ten Commandments. It's nothing like that. For, verse 10, here we go. For in this new covenant, in this covenant I'm going to establish that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Here it is. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their heart. Now, when we read this, and this is all we're reading today, as far as like Hebrews, we're going to save the rest for next week, and then some more Ricky's going to preach in two weeks on the rest of chapter 8. But when we read this, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write my laws on their heart. What's the first thing you think of? Let's be honest. Let's just ask ourselves this. What's the first thing you think of when you hear the word laws here? Maybe you're not like me, but if you are, I think of a list of rules. Because, I mean, he says the word laws, right? I think of a list of rules, rightly so. So it's, it's likely that many of us have read this before, and we've come away with a thinking that in the new covenant, God is going to place rules and laws within us because, well, it didn't work when they were outside of us, so having the Ten Commandments on stones didn't work, so he's now going to put these Ten Commandments in our heart, in our spirit. But listen... But don't take my word for this. Just listen. These laws that he's talking about in our heart and in our mind in this new covenant are not the Ten Commandments nor any other part of the Mosaic law. You say, how do you know that? How can you be so sure? Well, just read the verse before. (laughs) He says this new covenant is nothing like The old. It's nothing like the old covenant. Listen, God's great desire for you is not to have the 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 law of keeping the holy the Sabbath holy written on our hearts and minds so that we don't do yard work on Saturday or send out emails on Friday night. That's not his desire for us. It's not to take these external laws and just try to work them in us. So so what is it? Well, we don't have to guess. We don't have to like just pull at straws. We, we don't have to just come up with theories. There's a guy who lived the exact same time that Jeremiah lived. Remember, Jeremiah was how many years? Somebody tell me before Jesus walked? 600. There was another guy who was exactly the same time, a little bit younger, but they were contemporaries. His name is Ezekiel, okay? And God revealed to Ezekiel this very same thing. And so we're going to look at, we're going to skip over to Ezekiel chapter 36, and we're going to see how Ezekiel writes this very same revelation because he explains to us what Jeremiah means when he says laws. Okay? So look at this. Jeremiah chapter, I mean, Ezekiel chapter 36, starting at the end of verse 25. He says, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness. He's talking about this new, the new covenant. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols, all the gods you have set up before me. I'll cleanse you of all that sin. Moreover, okay, like as if that's not enough. Moreover, in addition, 
I will give you a new, what does I say? Heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. Now look, we're not talking about the Ten Commandments being put into our heart. We're not talking about the 20 commandments nor the 613 commandments into our hearts. We're talking about putting the very spirit of God within us. Look how Ezekiel explains this thing, all right? Jeremiah refers to it as laws, which is totally true, but what does laws mean to them? It means that this better covenant is based upon the better promises upon trusting in Jesus that we undergo, listen, a very spiritual heart transplant. Our old heart was dead to God, riddled with sin. And Hebrews 6 says very plainly that the wages of sin is death. And that's the condition of our spiritual heart before we started trusting in Jesus, dead. In fact, the giving of the law of Moses was to reveal just how dead the people were at their core. Unfortunately, the people perverted that and they turned it into a means of trying to gauge their self-righteousness. So here's how I know that God is not talking about trying to etch the Ten Commandments into our heart. The law cannot give life. The law cannot give life. The law reveals our death. If you take a spiritually dead heart and you chisel the Ten Commandments on that spiritually dead heart, what do you have? You have a spiritually dead heart with Ten Commandments chiseled on it. It's dead. No more, no commandments, laws, rules, anything have any hope of giving us what we actually need. What we actually need is life. So now look at how Ezekiel puts this. Ezekiel says that there's been a heart transplant, a spiritual heart transplant that's happened. In the new covenant, God gives us a new heart, which he calls here a new spirit. Notice how this first spirit right there on the third line, I'll put a new spirit within you. Notice how that's lowercase s. That's to help us see that we're not talking about the Holy Spirit here. We will talk about that in the end because there's another capital S below. But we're not talking about the Holy Spirit here. We're talking about a new you, a brand new human spirit. This is the new creation that Paul talks about in Ephesians and Galatians and 2 Corinthians. This is in this new covenant, you at your core are a new creation, a whole new human spirit. Look how he says, I will remove the heart of stone. That's talking about the old heart, the stone. Remember, stones, those, are, those things are dead. They don't have life. The heart of stone from you, from your flesh, from your body, from yourself, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Now, unfortunately, we don't have time to go there, but Romans 7 talks about how our old heart, our old spirit, our old inner man was actually married, united to the flesh, to our flesh by the authority of the law. But now in this new covenant, we've been placed into Jesus and our old heart has died. It was cut away. It's been removed. And the marriage of our old spirit to our flesh ended because of the death of the old man. Just like you would be free to marry someone else, if, if your spouse died, your new heart is free to marry someone else now that the old heart has died. 
So the old you died with Jesus. The old you was buried with Jesus. The old you is dead and gone so that a new you could be raised to life with Jesus. And this is the new heart that Ezekiel says we've been given. It's a whole newly created spirit, spiritual you, the new heart. Ephesians 4.24, which is not on the screen, but you can write this down. It says that this new heart, this new creation, this new you is actually created with the very righteousness of God and the very holiness of God. And so Ezekiel says that God gives us, he takes away the heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. Now, when we read that heart of flesh, that makes us think like heart of flesh, like that's a bad thing. You know, sin dwells in my flesh. That's not a good deal. But that's not what Ezekiel is saying. He's comparing, look, a heart of flesh to a heart of stone. Stone is dead. Flesh is alive. It's the spiritual transplant, the spiritual heart transplant. So the old heart is taken away. So the circumcision of Christ is cut out and it is gone, dead, buried. It's gone. And a whole new heart, a whole new life, a whole new spiritual you has been raised in Christ. In the new covenant, God replaces our dead human spirit that was married to our human flesh with a brand new human spirit that's created in the very righteousness and holiness of God. But you know what? This new human spirit, it's also married as well. It's also joined to someone. Who is it joined to? Who are you, the real you, the new you, actually joined to? No longer your flesh, but we're now joined to God, married to him. Look at the Ezekiel ends this little section that we're going to look at. He says, I will put my spirit within you. And now the S is capitalized. We're talking about the Holy Spirit now. We're not talking about just a human spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit that now has been placed in us and been fused to us in the new heart. We're talking about God. In this new covenant, God cuts out the old, sin-stained, sin-riddled, dead human spirit, human heart, and puts in a whole brand new one that's been raised in the likeness of Jesus. Again, I know this sounds weird, crazy, like what's this all about, but please do not ever take my word for this. If you hear me say anything today, it should be this. Don't take my word for this. Because if you just say, hey, this is what Walt says, look, we're just going to follow some sort of it's not the deal. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, and I've said this verse a couple times since we've been in Hebrews, but I want you to see this. It says, the one, talking about you, who joins himself to the Lord, of course, we know that's by grace through faith in Jesus, the one who joins himself to the Lord is how many spirits with God? One. You have become one spirit, one human spirit, your new spirit with God. You have been joined to him. So in this new covenant, this spiritual heart transplant has taken place. Your old sin-stained, stony human heart that was joined to your flesh has been removed. It no longer exists. Your connection to Adam and the curse of Adam and the entire Adamic race has ended the day you placed your trust in Jesus. You are now created with a new, alive human spirit. The new spirit, the new you, is not the old you kind of dusted off and like spit polished and okay, that'll do. It's a brand spanking new you that's crafted from God's own holiness and from God's own righteousness. Now, if that's not enough, God then fuses himself to you so that the two become one. Now, we can't get into that too much today because that's actually the next promise, promise number three that we're going to see next week. So come back, 
Bring your friend, it's going to be cool. But here's the deal. In this new covenant, you, the real you, is now just as righteous, just as holy as God himself is. And that's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. But we're called to live by faith and not by sight. You are no longer joined to your flesh. You are now wed, you're joined, you're one, whatever sort of word you want to use, with the Spirit himself. You know, sometimes we sit and actually, Josh, just like Josh did a second ago, when we ponder how, how holy we really are, when we sit and ponder, you know, our own holiness, how holy we are, what we really need to do is we need to ponder how holy God is. Because we have been created new with his holiness. When we sit and contemplate and meditate on how righteous or unrighteous we are, what we need to do is to meditate and ponder on how righteous God really is. Because, well, we've been created new, this new human spirit with his righteousness. Now, in case you've been wondering, we have not yet talked about behavior. Okay? We've not talked about behavior. We're talking about you, the real you, you at the core, your new spirit, who you really are. We're not talking about behavior. The reason that it's so important for us to see who we really are is because, in my opinion, behavior is really important. Behavior, our behavior, our right behavior, our wrong behavior, in no way affects our union with God in any way. It doesn't affect our fellowship, our, our relationship, our intimacy with God whatsoever. But our behavior is really, really important. Our behavior is important because it's God's chosen method for telling the unbelieving world about Jesus, about his love, about who he is, his mercy, his grace. God has joined himself to you. He has cleaned you and joined himself to your brand new human spirit so that he can live through you. Jesus, when he was ministering in John chapter 12, he says, you know what, guys? If I be lifted up, John chapter 12 Verse 32, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. As Jesus lives through you, as your behavior changes, as we're transformed outwardly because of this reality of what is inwardly, Jesus is lifted up. Jesus is manifested. Jesus is revealed to those around you. And if Jesus is lifted up, well, guess what he's promised? He will draw people to him through your life. So listen, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they live in us so that they can live through us. You know, for the longest time, my mindset was this, that I need to commit today to live today for God. Have we, any, anybody else had that mindset? You know, I need to commit my life so that my life's mission is to live for God. Anybody? I mean, just me? I mean, I, you know, maybe it's just me, I don't know. But here's where I'm trying to get my mind to, and prayerfully the Holy Spirit will get me there is that today is a day that God himself can live through me. So my day is not me trying to live for him, but my day is him living through me. Maybe that's semantics, but I think it's a big deal. That the God of the universe has set up shop in you so that he can live through you. Because who really wants to reach your neighbor more than God does? Right? Right? Who really wants your marriage to be awesome more than God does? So here, the deal is, it's not us trying to live for him, but him 
living through us. So how does our behavior change? How do we get outward with this awesomeness that's happened inward? Well, we don't have to guess for this either. We got this passage. We don't have much time to look through it. But Second Peter, the first four verses of Second Peter, says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of the Lord Jesus, to those who received a faith to the same kind of ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our God and Savior, uh, Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, seeing that his, look at this, seeing that his divine power has, past tense, granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. For by these, his power that's been granted to us, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Well, that's what we're looking at, the promises of the new covenant. So that you may become partakers of the divine nature. Did you know that you have become a partner with the very divine nature of God? Your human spirit has been fused to his divine nature. That doesn't mean that you are divine, except for my wife, she's divine. Love you, honey. But it means that you've been fused to his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world by lust. So God has placed his very divine nature, his very divine power in us, so that we would possess everything we possibly could possess when it comes to life and godliness. Do you see what this is saying? This is saying that in this new covenant, God has placed his divine power in us. We've become partners with his divine nature. We've been joined, fused, united, full, complete, 100% with his divine nature. Every ounce of his divine nature now resides in us. The divine nature now in us gives us the power to live godly and holy, upright lives in this world. So listen, this is huge. This is huge. In this new covenant, the power for godly living doesn't come from external rules and regulations and laws that were written on stones that were handed to Moses some 3,000 some years ago. This new covenant is nothing like that. It's nothing like that. In this new covenant, the fullness of God, his divine nature, his divine power, his divine presence, he himself has become one with our human spirit right here, right now, at Western Albemarle High School and anywhere you go. In this very place, we have been granted everything we need to live godly lives. So living godly lives, wonderful behavior, it doesn't come by applying rules and regulations. Living godly lives comes simply by walking in the reality of our perfect union with God of the universe. You ever seen Paul's simple solution to living godly lives? You know, obviously, Peter says it here, but Paul says, hey, this is how you overcome sin. You ready for this? This is so simple. Galatians 5.16, here it is. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. 
I mean, that's so simple, but we've made it so complicated. This is so simple. We are in the Spirit, and the Spirit is in us. If we truly want to not carry out the desires of the flesh, which I would say most every Christian ought to agree with, we don't want to carry out the desires of the flesh, the answer is here from Paul. is super clear. Walk by the Spirit. If you're already in Him, He's already in you. Now we just walk in that reality. Walking by the Spirit means that we are growing ever so dependent on this other life that's in us. This means that we are growing ever so aware that this life is not our own, but it was actually bought at a price. Walking by the Spirit means that we are growing ever so acquainted with the truth that we have been crucified with Christ, and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Walking by the Spirit means that we're growing ever so aware of the truth that our life is not close to God one minute and then distant the next, and then close the next, and then distant the next. Walking by the Spirit is a continual awareness that we have become one with the God of the universe. Walking by the Spirit means that we are being enlightened to the truth that we are not here just to live for God, but that God has taken up residence in us for Him to live His life through us. When that happens, when this happens, when we walk by the Spirit of God in us, look, we will not gratify the desires of our flesh. No law, no rule, no command, no regulation. Simply living here in this world in the reality of what we are in that world, the very kingdom of heaven. When we do that, when we live in this world with the reality of what we are there, the results will be godly living, godly, upright living. It's so much simpler than what we've made it. Our journey marker, and if you're new with us, this is let's put all this into one little simple thought One little simple phrase, and here it is, and it's in your Bible app. Life in this new covenant means that the very divine power and nature of God now resides in us. Listen, when we pray, we don't fire up long-distance conversations. We don't need like AT&T long-distance plans. Look, he resides in us. His divine nature, his divine power is in us. I'm going to land the plane here, and we're going to go pick up our kids and head home. Let me give a little illustration to try to help this communicate a little bit better. We've used this before. I think Richard used it a couple years ago, but it, it, it speaks exactly to what we're, we're talking about here. A couple years ago, a uh, Yahoo News, if you do that, I don't know, revealed that a Wendy's employee was photographed guzzling Frosties from the Frosty machine. So his mouth underneath it and his crank, and I've seen the picture. I was going to throw it up here, but it's kind of gross. Um, if you want to see it, text me, whatever I'll send you. Naturally, the guy was fired, right? Well, one of the conversations that spawned in the comments section had to do with how to prevent this action in the future. One of the recommended courses of action was to put cameras back in the back with TV monitors out in the dining area so that people could watch how their food is being prepared. And then to put big signs that say, do not guzzle Frosties from the Frosty machine. (laughs) The thinking being, that'll stop them for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it might alter the behavior for a little bit because of, you know, self-preservation. But what happens, you know, as soon as there's no customers out there and the manager's gone? 
Guzzle City, right? You won't change inward. There's no inward change as a result of outward punishment for bad behavior. But here's a thought that, that, that I think is so cool. What if, please listen, what if you were able to put the spirit of Dave Thomas in that kid? Remember Dave Thomas? He's the one who started this whole Wendy's deal. He created the Frosty, right, I guess? Probably some laboratory somewhere, I don't know. But what if you were to put the spirit of Dave Thomas in that kid? Do you think that kid would ever think about guzzling Frosties? See that? Look, this is what's happened. Outward rules, regulations never work. Maybe for a season, but that doesn't actually give us life. That covenant of outward rules and regulations is gone. We now have a better covenant based upon better promises, all guaranteed by our better high priest, Jesus, who his spirit has now been placed in us, joined to our new human spirit. Remember, on the first day of Pentecost in the old covenant, the law was delivered and 3,000 lawbreakers were slaughtered. But on the first Pentecost of the new covenant, the Spirit of God was delivered and 3,000 lawbreakers were saved. Life in this new covenant means that the very divine power and nature of God reside in us. Which power do you want? Do you want the power of words written on stones? Or do you want the power of the very Spirit of God now in you? Do you want the power of laws? Or do you want the power of a brand new lover, Jesus himself? Do you want the power of regulations or the power of divine revelation? Our hope is not in rules, regulations, scorekeeping, or anything like that. Our hope is solely in Jesus Christ now in us to the praise of his glory. Look, he really, really loves us so much that he died in order to join himself to us as new creations. And if you've this morning never come to a point in your life where you've begun to trust in Jesus, I just say, man, why, what are you waiting for? Like, what are you waiting for? Let today be the day where you begin to trust in Jesus for what he's done because in this new covenant, the very divine power and nature of God now reside in us. Our band's going to come up and we're going to close out with a little song to give us some time to kind of think on this, some time to stand up, stretch our legs a little bit, but some time to just think on this reality that in the new covenant, the very divine power and, 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 and presence, the very divine power and nature of God himself now lives in us. I'm going to pray. We can go ahead and stand up and pray. And if you want to talk, feel free to come talk. If you want to talk during the week, feel free. But something huge has happened in this new covenant. The very divine power and nature of God now reside in us. Father, we thank you that even right now we don't have to send off long distance prayers. But that you have made it to where you are now near us. You are now close to us. You are now one with us. In this new covenant, it's nothing like the old. You are no longer the God of out there. You are now the God of right here in us. I just pray, Father, that we would continue to see through the veil of this world and of this flesh and see the reality of who we are. That we would live in this truth of who you've made us new, new creations, fused to your Holy Spirit, one with you. 
in all ways. That revelation will lead to godly living. That revelation would lead to Christ living through us. It's your spirit. It's your work. We are your vessels for you to live through us. So God, help us to see that it's not just about living for you. I'm not saying that's a terrible deal, but the bigger deal is you living through us. That's what our world needs. That's what Crozet needs. We love you, but you loved us first. And for that, we just say thank you. Amen. Amen. So this week, we have the opportunity to minister the new covenant. You know, our community doesn't need a bunch of believers who are living a certain way only to, because we're being watched by Wendy's employees. Our community needs a group of believers who are living with a growing reality of what we really are because of Christ now in us. Our marriages, our families, they need a growing reality of what Christ really is in us. So as we go out this week, man, let's have fun with the growing awareness of Christ now in us. Love you. Have a great week. Hope to see you in groups this week. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.